Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, Walk in Love. It's based upon the lectionary readings for October 31st, 2021. Sometimes, I wish we could coin a new word for love. A word unencumbered by the baggage of romance novels, cheesy films, and greeting card sentimentality. I wish we could come to Christianity's love story and experience its subversive power with fresh, undated hearts. Our lectionary this week offers us two stories about love. In our gospel, a scribe comes to Jesus and asks, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus responds with an answer we church folks know so well we barely register it anymore. The first commandment is to love, specifically to love God with our entire beings and to love our neighbors as ourselves. In the story St. Mark recounts, the scribe agrees with Jesus and elaborates on his answer with a surprising insight of his own. To love God and neighbor is, quote, much more important than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, love is more important than piety, ritual, tradition, or penance. Love is more important than religion. When Jesus hears the scribe's wise words, he tells him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, and everyone listening in on their conversation falls silent. No one dared to ask him any question. I pause over that line each time I read it because it forces me to ask some hard questions. When was the last time I felt moved to silence by the call to love? How long has it been since the challenge and the beauty of the first commandment gave me pause, undid me, caused me to change course and reorder my life? If I'm honest, I have to admit that it has been a long time. This is partly because I'm enculturated to think of love in primarily emotional terms, as in, I hear the first commandment and think, oh, okay, got it, I need to feel love. God wants me to experience affection, affinity, attraction. This is a call to a lifetime of warm fuzzies. To be fair, there is an emotional element to love. Love is not grim duty, it's a wellspring that originates in the heart. Of course, it has an affective side. But sometimes, especially in Western Christianity, we focus so hard on the emotive and affective aspects of love that we forget its rigor, its robustness, its discomfort. We assume that loving God and our neighbors means expressing friendly sentiments to God during Sunday worship and exchanging warm pleasantries with the folks who live next door from Monday through Saturday. We forget that in the scriptures, the call to love is a call to vulnerability, sacrifice, and suffering. It's a call to bear a cross and lay down our lives. Biblical love is not an emotion we feel, it's a path we walk. As the children of God, we are called to walk in love. Think aerobic activity, not hallmark sentiment. But what does this kind of love look like in practice? In this week's reading from the Hebrew Bible, a young woman named Ruth pledges undying love to her mother-in-law Naomi. Ruth's storied vow is so impassioned and poetic, it's often quoted in modern wedding ceremonies. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. I certainly understand why couples include this beautiful promise in their marriage liturgies. But if we stay true to context, we have to remember that Ruth's vow to Naomi is not the vow of a fresh-faced bride on her wedding day. It's not the pledge young, ardent lovers make when their love is new, hopeful, and full of untested promise. As the book of Ruth begins, Naomi and Ruth have both, lo- have both lost their husbands in a culture that has no safety net for widows. Moreover, Naomi is a foreigner in the land who is well beyond the age of childbearing. 
She is so overcome with grief following the deaths of her husband and two sons that she literally renames herself. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, she tells her fellow townswomen. Call me Mara, meaning bitter, for the Lord has afflicted me, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I think it would be safe to say that Ruth's pledge of fidelity is not made to a companion who is, at this point in the story, easy or fun to be around. Naomi is bereft, depleted, forlorn, and bitter. It's possible that she's suffering a full-blown crisis of faith, imagining that the God she thought she knew has withdrawn his love and cursed her with unspeakable suffering. Ruth's vow, then, is a vow of tenacity, fortitude, and sacrificial loyalty as much as it is a vow of affinity, affection, or love as our culture might describe it. It is the vow of one grief-stricken, traumatized, and profoundly vulnerable woman to another. Ruth recognizes that Naomi is far too broken to offer her much reassurance or comfort. She knows that leaving Moab and traveling to Judah will render her an unwelcome foreigner in a culture that has a history of expelling foreign women as dangerous. She knows that money will be scarce, her prospects for remarriage uncertain, and any future reunion with her birth family unlikely. She knows that sticking with Naomi will entail reordering her entire life. And yet she puts her legitimate worries, losses, and fears aside and vows to love Naomi as herself. I would venture to say that Ruth's version of love is the version that silences the crowd in Mark's gospel story centuries later. Hers are words spoken in the aftermath of catastrophic loss and on the cusp of ongoing uncertainty and danger. When Ruth pledges to walk in love with Naomi, she knows that her path will not be flower-strewn. It will be jagged, it will be unfamiliar, it will be costly. And yet, as we know from the end of Ruth and Naomi's story, it will also be the path that leads to healing, redemption, joy, and new life. Scholars often point out that God is not overtly present in the book of Ruth. We don't see burning bushes or hear voices thundering from the clouds. We only hear and see the divine and the quiet choices and actions of the book's all-too-human characters. In this sense, Ruth is a strikingly contemporary book. Because isn't it the case that we too primarily experience God's faithfulness in our daily interactions with each other? Isn't divine love made manifest to us in the brave choices and right actions of the people who commit to treating us as their neighbors? Isn't the kingdom of God revealed when we opt to walk in love for each other, even on paths that are hilly, thorny, and long? We can't easily coin a new word for love, but perhaps the ancient stories of scripture can help us redefine our understanding. How many times have you been loved when you were bitter and bereft? How often have you pledged your fidelity to the vulnerable, the lost, the defeated, the hopeless, and discovered that God meets you in that pledge? When have you embarked on a loving spiritual path, not because of what you felt, but because that particular path called to you as a means of obedience to the first and greatest commandment? I'm glad that our gospel story this week ends in stunned silence. Silence is the appropriate first response to the radical love we're called to, we dare not speak of it glibly. We dare not cheapen it with shallow sentiment and hollow piety. Rather, let's ask for the grace to receive it as the wise scribe received it, in awed and grateful silence. Then, when we're ready, let's walk. For books this week, Dan reviews Weapons of Math Destruction, How Big Data Increases Inequality and Threatens Democracy by Kathy O'Neill. I learned about Kathy O'Neill and her best-selling book, long-listed for a National Book Award, in the excellent movie Coded Bias, which movie considers the inherent biases of race, class, and gender in the computer models and algorithms that now impact pretty much every area of our lives. 
As both this book and the movie demonstrate, today we are all graded for a broad array of risk-reward factors by computer algorithms in hiring and firing, performance evaluation, bank mortgages, predatory lending, voter targeting, housing, insurance rates, building security, college applications, crime prediction, and the risks of recidivism, and on and on. These algorithms are not just biased, they can also be abusive, inaccurate, and unregulated. Most of all, they are opaque, and there is typically no court of appeal to protest how they characterize you. These powerfully efficient algorithms tend to be inherently unfair, says O'Neill. In particular, they punish the poor and corrode our democracy. Consider this one example from her book to get a feel for the scale and scope of big data and how it is used. In 2015, Consumer Reports studied the disparities in insurance rates by analyzing over 2 billion price quotes for every one of the 33,419 zip codes in the country. What they found was wildly unfair. Another consumer watchdog group documented how Allstate had 100,000 micro-segments or pricing tiers based upon its prize optimization algorithm. Some Allstate customers received discounts as high as 90% off the average rate, while others faced increases of up to 800000 It's hard to see how or where this will stop. In her last chapter, O'Neill makes some suggestions. At least we can be aware of and educated about what's happening to us. And thank God for consumer watchdog groups and for scholars like O'Neill for excellent books like this. For films this week, Dan reviews Revolution of the Heart, the Dorothy Day story. This 57-minute documentary aired in March of 2020 to coincide with the release of a new biography about Dorothy Day by John Lowry and Blythe Randolph, Dorothy Day, dissenting voice of the American century. If you can't read that definitive biography or the family memoir, Dorothy Day, The World Will Be Saved by Beauty, an intimate portrait of my grandmother by Kate Hennessy, this film is a good proxy. It captures the inspiration and many complexities of the co-founder of the Catholic worker movement. Day was an adult convert to Catholicism from a bohemian background, an anarchist who embraced the hierarchical Catholic Church, an ardent pacifist, peacemaker, and advocate for the poor. She paid local taxes but refused to pay federal taxes and was on Hoover's FBI watch list as a dangerous American. She was an Orthodox Catholic and a political radical who was nonetheless profoundly at odds with both secular and religious institutions. She never voted, never registered as a socialist, and despite many accusations, was never part of the Communist Party. She protested the Vietnam War, but opposed the excesses of the counterculture of that day. One person described Day as an autocratic ascetic. Her failures as a mother to her only child, Tamar, were well known and much discussed by those who knew her, not to mention a source of profound grief to Day herself. The chaos of the CW Houses of Hospitality was legendary. Nonetheless, in the year 2000, the Catholic Church began its official process for the canonization of Dorothy Day as a saint. And lastly, for poetry this week, Abide With Me by Henry F. Light. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When, others helper, when other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. Not a brief glance I beg, a passing word, but as thou dwellst with thy disciples, Lord, familiar, condescending, patient, free, come not to sojourn, but abide with me. 
Come not in terrors as the king of kings, but kind and good with healing in thy wings. Tears for all woes, a heart for every plea. Come, friend of sinners, and thus bide with me. Thou on my head in early youth did smile, and though rebellious and perverse meanwhile, thou hast not left me, oft as I left thee. On to the close, Lord, abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who, like thyself, my guide and stay can be? Through cloud and sunshine, Lord, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still, if thou abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for October 31st, 2021. I'm Debbie Thomas.